The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when his blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in his precious blood, my sin to atone, and I started singing. talk to you about a parable that is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus, for much of his teaching, spoke in parables. We use them. We use them, we use them today. It's just, a, it's just a story that's true to life. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, yes, that maybe the characters are not real characters that it actually happened, but it the, 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 actually, the, the story happens all the time. You see nature programs that way. They'll say, well, some of the scenes were constructed or construed or made up, but it is true to what they see in real life. They just couldn't, you know, when there's a camera, ever wondered how they get, uh, they'll go to a den of, of some a burrowing animal and, and you'll, you'll be able to watch the mother. Or, or I saw one on a bear hibernating. Uh, and it had a it showed his black bear hibernating and 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 the cubs with her and kind of how they acted and, and and you think there was a man in there with a camera? No, I mean they had to put a camera in there and you know show what it was and some of the scenes. That's what Jesus uh, speaks of a parable. He has an earthly story that people are familiar with. I mean they're familiar with. It. They they say oh yeah we we did we understand this with a heavenly meaning. I'm going to start read this in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And it said, a certain man had two sons, uh, two outcomes. And the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divideth unto them his living. This is in Luke 15, 13. Now my next verse. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? And I will rise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, and make me as, uh, and make me as one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight 
and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. This boy is in pretty bad shape. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. I want you to circle that word merry there, if you're marking your Bible, in the 23rd verse of Luke 15. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Circle that. It's like twice he says there, they began to be merry. That's as much as I'm going to read it. There's more to it from verse 25 to 32, but we did not need to read that today to take a comment on that. Let me say, in these three parables found in the 15th chapter of Luke, they have one specific theme and one specific purpose. A clue is found to the purpose and the theme of the chapter in verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. They were The Pharisees, which were self-righteous and didn't care whether people went to heaven or not, that thought they were going to be accepted in heaven by their good works, by helping people, do, trying to do good, keep the Ten Commandments and all this other stuff, which is not right. And it's, it's, if that was so, Jesus would have never had to come. He'd have never had to die on Calvary. If you could somehow work your way to heaven, if you could somehow be accepted into heaven because of something you've done good, maybe you helped old ladies across the street whether they wanted to go or not, or, you, or you've given to some telethon, or, you, or you've, you've given a you, you, you maybe you know, didn't rob your neighbor or something like that. Some good work that you've done, some noble thing that you've done, does not undo the sins you've committed. The problem we have is, as humans facing our God is that we cannot undo the wrongs that we have done, the sins we have done. And I rarely have met an individual who say they haven't sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible's real clear about it. It don't, it don't mess around with you. It just says you've sinned in many directions. In fact, your, your sins uh, are a whole lot more than your good things. The thought, remember, sins being your thought life, too, what you've thought about things. When, when, I, when, I, when you're driving down 41, the Yankee cuts you off. What do you think about that, you know? Those things count. And God, we, we stand before God someday to answer. The Bible says clearly that we're going to answer for God before the things done in their body whether they be good or bad. These parables, and these three major parables in the 15th chapter, talk about situations that these Pharisees, these self-righteous Pharisees who thought they were going to somehow work their way to heaven, they were religious people, they were disciplined people, uh, but they were cold. They were cold. They didn't care about sinners. They didn't care about the lost much. So Jesus tells these three parables, and this particular one called the prodigal son parable that we're in today. Uh, I, I, the, the lost sheep parable in the seventh verse there, it says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the 99 just persons which need no repentance. I believe we are to rejoice over lost people getting saved. Well, these young people got baptized and heard the gospel before that and said with their own cognizance, yes, I understand it. I want to trust Christ as my Savior. Jesus said, except you become as a little child, you'll not even enter into the kingdom of heaven. You actually got to condescend to them before you can trust Christ with a pure heart and say, yes, I believe that Jesus died. I believe he was buried. I believe, indeed, he was resurrected from the dead. He sits on the right hand of the Father now. 
and invites us for salvation and have our sins forgiven. Children hear it, the word of God, and believe it simply. we got to be like that. But in the, in the lost sheep parable, in the seventh verse, he said there's going to be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Listen, you shouldn't be able to get over that. You shouldn't be able to get around that. You shouldn't be able to get by that. If heaven thinks it's important enough to rejoice over one sinner getting saved, brother, how much more should we make merry about it? Amen? In the, in the parable of the lost coin, in verse 10, it says, Likewise, I say unto you, there shall be joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now, remember why he's telling these parables. These Pharisees, they were condemning Jesus for going out and getting among sinners, getting among folks that didn't know God, and trying to get them to know God. And they were criticizing him about that, saying, what are you doing going among those kind of folks that don't know God? And then he tells them, look, God is hunting for people who need him, which is everybody, right? Which is everybody. In the parable of the lost son, verse 23, it says, Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, as I read before. Let us eat and be merry. So in verse 23 and 24, both times it said, when the young man that was prodigal was a rebel that left his dad and came home repentant of spirit and got right with his father, which is the parallel of the heavenly father, you and me coming back. And they made merry. I think people ought to get, I think, let me tell you, I have had tremendous adventures in my life. I've caught thousands and thousands and thousands of lobsters. One season caught 5,000 pounds of lobster. And let me tell you, there's nothing to compare with seeing a lost person trust Christ as their personal Savior. That's more joy, more deep satisfaction to see it. And by the way, it also is biblical, and it ties in with what the Bible says. If heaven gets excited about it, how much more should I get excited about it and be happy about it? So this, this, these parables that were given, the lost uh, sheep, lost coin, the lost son, which is the one I'm doing, were, were normal in their day. Uh, this was typical of Jesus' day. There are not too many Christian homes that have more than one child uh, of them that, that one of the children decides to be a prodigal. How many here uh, in your family had a rebel or a prodigal brother or sister? Don't raise your hand. I know I have in my family. My my mom and dad had three boys, and 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 you know we we had it happen in our family. This is also fairly typical. Uh, I mean, when you have a bunch of children, you can expect that one of them may decide not to live for God. One of them may decide to be a rebel. One of them may decide to be a prodigal. What do you do? Well, I think this parable gives us the activity how we're to act. How do you deal with a prodigal? Well. I'm going to read the first two, 11 and 12, and I'm going to comment a few things. I think that this, this has the answer. A certain man had two sons, younger of them, said to the father, Father, give me a portion of the goods, and falleth to me. In other words, give me my inheritance early. And what, what is crazy about this, the father said, okay. And he divided them unto them his living. Uh, the boy was allowed to leave, interestingly, without much resistance from the father. There's been a statement I've said for years and years, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. I mean, you're not, my mother came to me one time, she says, I know that I cannot convince you and force you to do anything. I know that you are going to make the decisions on what you really want to do in life, and it's going to be from you, not me. I'm trying to encourage you to do the right thing, but I know, son, that you're going to be the one making the decision. 
And I think I was about 12 years old. And I looked at her and I thought to myself, you're absolutely right. I'll be the one making the decisions in life. And so she was right. Uh, this young boy was given free will to make whatever decision he wanted to make. It wasn't a good decision. No father would have believed that his son would have, would have received uh, his inheritance early at a young age. And, and, and what would he do with it? You only get one shot at that, right? But he received it. And he was allowed, and I think the parable shows that God gives us and gives you and gives me a free will. Don't you believe that? We have a free will. We can do, you say, nobody's going to control me. That's actually true. They can control your body, but actually you can be sitting down on the outside, but you can be standing up on the inside, right? People raised in a Christian home does not guarantee anyone that they're going to be Christian because they can act Christian, look Christian, go to church, address uh, uh, Christian, but that doesn't mean they've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior internally by faith, and that's the only way they're going to be saved. So, we have a free will. I believe God demonstrates that with his, with his prodigal that God has, and by the way, he, 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 he gave the inheritance to this boy ahead of time. Isn't it interesting, God, the Bible says, reigns on the just and the unjust. I mean, he gives the sunsets to people who hate him. There was a beautiful sunset the other day, and it was just fabulous. Uh, and uh, I looked at that sunset, and I told my wife, you know, people that hate God are looking at that sunset. They don't even recognize he exists. They even have denied his existence, and yet at the same token, there's, he still sheds the beauty of the rainbow on them. He sheds the beauty and the, the smell of, a, of, of, you know, the smell after a rain. The other day it rained about two inches in my house. I went outside and I just went, there was a smell. I thought, God, thank you. But not everybody goes out and says, thank you for that smell. They don't even care. They don't care. But God gives, he gives to the just and the unjust. God has blessed everybody. In essence, what I'm trying to say is, I believe God has, has divided uh, 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 some wealth if I may say it that way, to every person he's made. He's given us the wealth of food. He's given us the wealth of weather. He's given us the wealth of our health. He's given us the wealth of we have a mind and we can speak and we can see. Not everybody can see. Not everybody can hear. But for the majority, they have those things. Those are gifts from God. If you can see me this morning, if you can hear me, it's a gift from God. It says next, they went into a, he went in, he took his inheritance, he went into a far country. Look at verse 13 there, chapter 15. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into the far country, and look what happened. And there wasted his substance on riotous living. There's a little poem that says, Sin will take you further than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. These boy, this boy had this. This boy went into the far country of riotous living. Now, notice they had the same father and mother. There's two boys in the parable. One stayed at home, did what was right. One went out, did lived riotously. Same home influence, same occupation, same genetics, same examples. Who was to blame? Neither the, the father's not to blame. He, did, he had sons. He showed them the right way. 
One of them said internally, I'm not going to live the right way. I'm going to be a rebel. I'm going out and take my goods, the blessings that I've been given by God, and I'm just going to live any way I want to live. And you know what God says? You can. You have freedom to live any way you want to live. You can go out and do anything you want to do. There are consequences for all of our actions, however. Amen. He went into the far country. Sin always takes you far away from those you really love. By the way, I have to admit this too. Sin, however, is a riot. It's, the Bible calls it, there's a pleasure of sin for a season. Sin is expensive. It is expensive. It'll cost you a whole lot more than you ever wanted to pay. You can go do your thing. But, you know, he thought while he, was, he had that money, he thought while he had all of these things, that he was in good shape. He thought, well, man, I'm not doing too bad. My poor brother's back there. He hasn't got any inheritance yet. He's back there working for the father. Uh, he's poor as a church mouse. He's, he's, he don't have nothing, man. Why? I'm in good shape. Long as his wealth held out, long as his health held out, as long as uh, the people around, by the way, you have wealth, you have friends, don't you? <laughs> he had a lot of friends. He went to the far country, and he thought people loved him. He says, you know, these people love me more than the people at the house. These folks, uh, they are my friends. Boy, have I heard people say, I've got real friends run out of money. After he ran out of money, where were his drinking buddies then? Where were his party animals then? Where were the old good time Charlies then? Uh, after he ran out of money, where were the ladies then? Uh, your buddies relegated you to go eat with the swine. And what's crazy about it, they'll condemn you. The very ones who partied with you, the very ones who helped spend your money in riotous living will be the very ones who point a finger at you and say, he sure didn't manage his money well. He sure didn't have much a grip on what was right. They'll be the very ones also to condemn you. The Bible said he spent all. Verse 14 there, he spent all. There arose a mighty famine in the land. Every time, you know, God warns us. He warns us over and over and over in the Bible that sin's consequences is famine. Famine. Famine is the lack of everything. Sin will take every, I've seen people set before me at my office that everything they ever had of value is gone. Gone. I mean, their, their teeth were gone. I asked one guy, you know, he used to have a, he paid over $100,000 a year when that was a lot of money 30 years ago. He used to make over $100,000 a year, and he's sitting in my office. His teeth are all gone. And I said, what happened to you, son? He said, cocaine. Cocaine. He said, I thought I could control it. No. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay. And it'll keep you a whole lot longer than you want to stay. I said, how is it that you would sell out everything? He lost his wife, he lost his kids, he lost his job, he lost his health, he lost his teeth for a substance of cocaine. He says, Bill, 
it gets in your mind, it gets in your head, it's all you can think about, it's all I want, it's all I want to live for. And what once was a free will choice to sin now became a slave to that choice. Wow. You say, I'm not going to be there. Every addict I ever met thought he wasn't going to be there. Amen, Doc? I know you've seen a lot more than I have. Every addict you ever met, so they started out young and fresh and healthy, and they were going to control it. They were going to be the different. They were going to be the exception to the rule, but that's not the way sin works. The world will abandon you, brother. They'll abandon you. And he went and joined himself, the Bible said, with a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. I tell a lot of young people, you leave your mom and dad, and you think they're bad. You ain't seen nothing yet. The world is twice as bad, twice as hard on you, three times, four times harder on you than any mom and dad's going to be. Uh, I remember I told the story over and over when I got rebellious about 16 years old and got cocky, thought I, thought I knew stuff. By the way, at 16, you know everything. You know, all knowledge is centered in you. The whole world swirls around you. It's a selfish time of life. It's a horrible time, really. And I got cocky with my mom. Well, she was old. She's old school, you know. She went through a few clothes, just a few of my clothes in old suitcase. Thing. I'll never forget that picture. I, I remember the door. It's a green painted door opening up with a skeleton key that never worked. We never locked our house because the skeleton keys quit working 50 years before. And she opened that old barn, that old barn uh, house, that old uh, uh, farmhouse door, and, and she it creaked as it opened, and she hit the screen. She took my suitcase, and she threw that thing out like that, and it tumbled end to end hit on the ground and went end to end and end, dropped over. She says, son, follow your suitcase. She knew the, she must, she must have read the parable of the lost son. She must have read the parable of the prodigal son. I don't see the father doing a whole lot of convincing to the prodigal and saying, oh, don't, whatever you do, don't go. He said, okay, take your living, go. If you think your parents' home's rough, wait till you get out there and get broke. Wait till you get out there, and, and, and you can't help any of those people. They'll tell you, I got a place for you. My swine in the barn there, you go feed them. You go live with them. You go lay with them. I, know, I, I have a pig, and I've had pigs. And I can tell you, I know something about pigs. Pigs are pigs. Pigs act like pigs. They, they, they're pigs, all right? They like to get in the mud. You can clean a pig up all you want to. As soon as he gets a chance, he's going to get in some old nasty mud, roll around there. And by the way, I think a pig can smile. I believe I've seen a pig smile. When they get in that mud and they roll around in that thing and they lay their belly, they, get, they almost smile. And go feed, go feed the pig. And what do pigs often get in a farm environment, which is parable, they get leftovers because pigs will eat about anything. They won't eat pickles. They will not eat pickles. Pig won't eat a pickle. They'll spit that thing out. Bleh. I've seen, I tried to feed them dill pickles. Bleh. About the way I feel about them. But, the pig, but they'll eat about anything you throw across over there to them. By the way, do not feed pig. I fed a pig a chocolate cake once. Almost killed him. He ate the whole chocolate cake, and for three days he stood in one place and did not move with his head down looking at the ground. 
and he didn't move. And, and that's what chocolate will do to you. He thought it was good. He ate it all. Sin will make you a slave. You'll find yourself at the bottom. In verse 16, and he would fain have filled his belly with a husk of swine to eat, and no man gave him. The world will leave you to the swine. I can just say this unequivocally. Nobody cares for you like God, the Father. Nobody cares for you like your Father, God the Father. And by the way, God is your Father. He's your Creator. Nobody cares for you like that. No man gave unto him, the Bible says. That's the key phrase there. What if someone at this point in the in the prodigal son's life or the lost son's life had gone to him and bailed him out financially or bailed him out physically. What do you think would have happened? I see parents oftentimes when God begins to judge a rebel, a rebel, now I'm talking about a rebel. I see parents bail them out. I see parents intervene for them. I see parents enable them to continue on in the riotous living. But you don't see God the Father bailing out the prodigal so he can continue to have a riotous life of, of sin. He lets the boy go, knowing that the end of that life is feeding the swine. But there are some people that have, uh, what am I going to say, misplaced compassion that especially with their own children, they don't love their children. Let me put this carefully. They don't love their children enough to allow them to receive the consequences for their rebellion because the consequences for their rebellion will bring them back to the Father. It, I believe it was the former leader of, of RU that spoke here a couple times, Steve Currington. He said... You have to hit bottom. Now, he dealt with drug addicts mostly. He said, if you, you have to hit bottom before you're willing to finally give it up and to go, go do what you're supposed to do. Now, parent, I know you're going to have a hard time uh, watching your child uh, out there feeding the swine. You'd have a hard time not intervening for him. You'd have a hard time not somehow helping him or giving to him. But if you intervene, before the full consequences come upon him to convince him that the Father is the place to go back to, to convince him to say, I have sinned against heaven. Notice the order of that. And the, the kid understood. I, all action really and reaction on this life is about God. First, it's vertical. Then it goes to the horizontal person to person. The command, the two greatest commandments is to love your Lord like God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, and your mind. Then love your neighbor as yourself. But it's the second commandment. The first was always vertical. Our responsibility is to the one who made us first and foremost. And the boy got it. He finally, the Bible says, <laughs> I, like, I like when the Bible says, 
he came to himself. I like that. Look at verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants do my father have bread enough to spare? I perish with hunger. He went all the way down. And then what he said, he finally came to himself. He says, I'll rise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, I'm a sinner, unable to save myself. That's really what he said, wasn't it? I've sinned against heaven and against you. I got nothing. All that stuff that you gave me is gone. Sin has stripped me to I have nothing. He didn't have shoes on his feet. And that's exactly what sin does to the sinner. It brings him to where eventually he has no soul left. It's stripped of all of the beauty that God wants it to have. And the Bible's, and oh my, what a precious thing. I'll rise and go to my father, and I'll no more worthy to be called thy son, make one as a hired servant. But here's a look in verse 20, maybe the, the pinnacle of the, whole, of the whole parable. He said he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a, a great way off, his father saw him. Now, you can't explain that by anything that the father was looking. You can't explain that any other way to know. I mean, how would you know your son was coming home? How do you know what day he was coming home? How do you know what week he's coming home? I think the father, every day, there may have been just one entrance to the place. Now, that's very well possible, but I think every day he kind of looked up and said, well, the father was wise. God's wise. He knows you better than anybody knows you. In fact, God, God who made us knows us better than we know ourselves. That's why we go to the Bible, because I'd rather have the ancient wisdom of God than my just temporal wisdom, which I just am learning as I go. You don't have enough lifetimes to learn all you need to learn. You've got to go to the Word of God and learn ahead of time and avoid the trouble. Well, the Bible says he's looking. So I'm afraid, and what, what happened? He had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Jesus saved me while I had the stench of sin and death on me. The Bible says, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't have to claim. I've had people come to me and say, I'm going to get right with God pretty soon. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit whatever they think they're sinning against God on, and then I'm going to come to church. I said, stop. Don't quit anything. Come to church. Hear the word of God. And when you hear the word of God and God the Holy Spirit comes by, act on it. And come to him and admit what all God asks us to do is what any parent would ask their children to do when they do wrong. What does a parent want from a child when he does wrong? He just wants him to admit it's wrong. If my child lies, what do I want from that child really? I don't want the child to grow up to be a liar. Does that make sense to you? Well, what do I want from that child? I want the child to admit lying is wrong. Lying is to be avoided. Lying is unproductive. Lying is destructive. Now, you don't have to say all of that. What a child needs to say is lying is wrong. And what God requires of us to be saved and to have our sins forgiven in a place in heaven, because if we went to heaven the way we are now, we'd destroy it, we'd infect it, we'd ruin it. To go to heaven, God has to cleanse you from all your sin, and to be cleansed from all your sin, you have to go through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he did on Calvary, because his blood and his sacrifice was enough to forgive you all your sins. 
But before you can receive that, you first got to admit, I was wrong. What this old boy did, this rebel came back and said, I've sinned against God first, and I've sinned against you. And when you're willing to admit to the Father that you've sinned against him, he accepts you and, I, and believe. He says, I want to be just like one of your hired servants. I just want to be, I want to be, I'm, I want to be back. I want to be home. And though he may not have said the words, would you forgive me, the father had compassion and understood that he had meant the conditions to be saved, to be put back into fellowship. I thank God he came after me when I was yet had the stench of sin on me and didn't require me to clean up first. By I, I, a gospel here, we're looking for sinners who are coming out of the hog trough of the world, disgusted with, they, with what they have found there. And we found numbers of them. And numbers of them are in this room who realized as this prodigal that they were in the hog troughs of sin with no future at all ahead of them that would make anything any good. And they went back to the Father, and you'll find Jesus, his arms are open unto you right now this morning. The Lord Jesus wants you to be saved and wants you to be forgiven. He is, he is here through preachers and through gospel tracts and through ministries everywhere scattered out all over the world crying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's not with a head belief. That don't change anything. It's not with a foxhole belief, a temporary belief. That won't change anything. The Bible says it's a belief with all your heart. It's the kind of, it's the kind of commitment I had to my wife that I excluded every other woman in the world for her. God wants you to exclude every other God and every other name of a God for him and to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And immediately when that happens, the Holy Spirit will come in and indwell your life and you will begin to change like this old boy began to change. Well, look what happened. He said he, th he threw a party for this boy. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf and let's eat. When people are having a good time, they want to eat, amen? They don't want to go no food. They want to eat. That's why it's not uncommon for people to call each other and say, let's go out to eat together. Let's celebrate. It's a time of celebration when you get to eat. And everybody said. If I preach for a long time, you don't get to eat lunch, you're going to be like, I want to go eat, preacher. Give me a ribeye, baked potato, smothered in butter, Idaho potato, smothered in butter, sour cream, chives, cheese. Yeah. And you know what? God the Father is waiting for you and me to come back to him, admit, just admit like any father would that we've done wrong. We stepped away from him. We knew better. And we're repenting. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. And if you'll repent of the wrong you've done and come back to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I've sinned. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against other people. Yeah. I'm not worthy to be called your child. But would you save me? Because that's what he said. Would you, would you take me back, Dad? Would you take me back, Father? Father says, sure, I will. In fact, I'll do more than take you back. I'm going to throw a party. We're going to have rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. 
That's what we're going to have. We're going to rejoice, kick our heels together. We're going to bring out that we're going to bring out the ribeye. We're going to bring out the baked potato, Idaho baked potato, smothered and covered. And we're going to bring out. I know. I noticed I didn't mention vegetables. I think there will be in heaven. I'm not sure. But spiritually, God wants to feed you, brother. That empty spot that nothing else is filled, that empty spot that, that everything you've tried, every wild ride of thing the world offers never has filled that empty spot, you still have a black hole in your heart, a dark place in your heart that just is empty and nothing. And sometimes you get up in the morning, don't even want to live to another day. You don't have to be like that. You don't have to live like that with the Lord Jesus available to you. You can trust him as your personal savior. You can say yes to him. And he'll accept you back like this old boy accepted his son back. There's different stages of this whole thing. Maybe you're here today and you're at home. You're still at home and you're rebellious, wanting the taste of riotous living the world offers. Or maybe, maybe you're on your way already into the world and it's pleasure thinking that's the answer. Some of you may already be in the swine's trough, eating with the swine. You're coming to the bottom. Now I pray that some of you here this morning could be saying, I'm time to go back to God. I've done my thing. It's wrong. I see it's not. doesn't pay. It's no good. The Father's hoping you'll come back. He's looking a great way off for you. He's ready and willing to help you to come back. Will you? Will you say yes? I love dealing with small children. You can tell them the gospel, same story I've told you this morning, and they'll look at me and go, yes, I want to be saved. They don't have any doubt about it most of the time. We get older, we get proud, don't we? We get proud. We get all kinds of inner, well, I can do that. I didn't be embarrassed. I don't want to. And you know what? That will damn you to hell. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Why? He didn't want you to go there. But if you stand before Jesus someday without Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the very one who died for you, you'll stand before. The Bible makes it clear. And if you stand before him without Christ, you'll have to answer for the deeds done in your body. You'll have to answer for your sin. And, and the Bible makes it clear that if you have to answer for your sin, you're going to a place called the lake of fire for all eternity. You say, I don't believe it. It don't make any difference what you believe. And the moment you die, you've made, you've made your last free will decision. Your last free will decision after you die, from that point, God takes over. He gave you your chance. You, you sat in a sermon where the gospel was preached, and you hardened your heart. You had excuses. You got busy with other things, and you missed it. But brother, someday you'll stand before the one who gave himself. He's not going to have his arms out like this and ask you. Now Jesus has his arms out in compassion and asking you to be saved. Now the mercy is there. Now the grace is there. But once you die and stand before Jesus, the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. The Bible says that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's such a bad ending that Jesus said it'd be better to go through life with just one eye. It'd be better to go through life with just one hand. It'd be better to go through life with just one foot than to enter into a place where the worm dieth not nor the 
Fire is not quenched. Listen, you may have heard all kinds of stories. There's no hell. There's no hell. We're going to be down in hell partying. There'll be no partying in hell. It's a place of loneliness. It's a place of absolute darkness. It's a place of agony and suffering where you are paying for the, for the atrocities and the sins that you have committed. You do not want to go there. Jesus didn't want you to go there. And if you do go there, you've gone over the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to get there. Because he's in the way saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Why don't you choose Jesus today? Father, we pray in the name of, above every name that as the gospel has been preached, that the Spirit of God would come, that you would explain it even better than I have. This, this parable spoken almost 2,000 years ago still has power today. Why? Because the Word of God and the Spirit of God is with it. We pray that, Father, you just anoint. There could be some in this room without Christ. They haven't done what these, what these children did today. They haven't been said yes to Jesus with their, all their heart, trusted him as their Savior, never been baptized, never gave public profession and confession that Jesus Christ was their Savior. Why don't you do it today? Oh, dear one, don't miss it. Don't miss it. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation to sing a couple songs. We'll sing a song, a couple verses, and why don't you come during that time? Make your way up towards the front here. We'd love to be able to take you to a private room, one-to-one, -one, man with a man, lady with a lady, and show you what it means to be saved. Just take the Bible and carefully, we're not a cult. We're not going to cram anything down anybody's throat. We're just going to show you the way it was shown to us in compassion and kindness and explain the gospel. Why don't you say yes before it's too late? You say, Brother Bill, i got a lot of years to live, do you? Do you? I've been to a lot of graveyards through the years. I've seen a lot of 12-year-olds there, a lot of 16-year-olds there, a lot of 20-year-olds, and on and on and on. You don't, know when you, you don't know when it's over for you. Nobody does. I say that not to scare you. I say that to warn you. May you, take it, may you take this as serious as a man can take something. May you respond to the blessed Holy Spirit who's coming by whispering in your ear this morning to be saved. You come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.